This is the Bill Kelly Show podcast. The city is now going to escalate its battle over responsibility over the late delivery and problem-ridden construction of Tim Horton Field. Uh, the city is going to file a statement of defense in response to legal claims involving the builder, the province, the tenant, who are the Hamilton Tiger Cats, of course. Uh, the Tiger Cats are involved in this, a lot of other folks. It's going to get messy. If you think it was messy before, it's going to get a lot messier from uh, the legal standpoint anyway. So what is the city's position? What is the city's expectation? Uh, Terry Whitehead, counselor for Ward 8, joins us here on the Bill Kelly Show to talk about this. Terry, good morning. How are you this morning? Oh, it could always be better, Bill. <laughs> oh, really? You sound a little down on the dumps. Well, I had uh, my car broken into last night and had uh, a number of things stolen out of it. So not always appreciative, but these things happen. Ouch, ouch, ouch. Well, obviously, I'm, I'm sh- hoping that uh, the police are involved in that, and they're they're obviously going to do something about that. Uh, we wish all the best for that and hope you get some resolution to that. Let's let's, let's talk about this issue, Terry. I guess this is, in some people's minds, uh, an inevitable circumstance here that this was going to happen. We know that uh, the city was talking. Uh, there are a number of people involved in this. Uh, what what what's the city's position here? What do you want to see happen, and what are the expectations realistically of getting this thing resolved? Well, and I think I, uh, the mayor spoke very eloquently on this. We were hoping uh, that we can get a very positive resolution uh, that didn't put our taxpayers at any risk. Period. We, uh, in fact, didn't build the stadium. The issue is because of delay and deficiency. Uh, certainly, the Tiger Cats uh, were impacted to some degree in respect to uh, uh, games that couldn't be played at the stadium, etc. Lost, uh, lost revenue, and uh, we entered into an arrangement, um, an, ag- uh, uh, an agreement that uh, with the construction. With and let's be uh, make it clear for your listeners, uh, I.O. was the primary uh, uh, general contractor for the building of the stadium. We made a contribution over $50 million. <clears throat> I.O. was responsible for hiring the consortium that did built the, the stadium. So you've got a number of players here. you got I.O., you have um, the contractor, the consortium, you have the Targats, you have the city of Hamilton, and uh, there may have been some deficiencies in some of the other uh, Commonwealth uh, facilities as well that might have played uh, a part in this overall saga. So uh, that's sort of the, the, the some context. Uh, clearly, uh, the the contractor didn't deliver on time. Clearly, the contractor uh, uh, developed a number of deficiencies that still continue to haunt us in regards to the stadium. So now the problem is is that there's a cap on the insurance with the contractor. With, between the, uh, the contractor and I.O., which limits what I believe, and the courts will have to decide what the uh, the contractor uh, is liable to pay out. So you, are you telling me that, there was a pot of money then? Uh, there's always a holdback. Uh, for those that don't know that, I guess it's just about every contract, right? Uh, if the city has, Terry, there's, right. there's always a holdback provision. In other words, if, if you owe somebody 100 bucks, you give them 60 or 70 of it, and the other 30 bucks is held back until you're satisfied that it's done. I know the numbers are a lot larger with the stadium, but, but that was the deal here. Are you concerned that that money's running out? Well, no, well there, 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 would, there would be a, a, a cap of the liability and risk. I mean, don't forget, you're talking about the arrangement that the city would enter into contract. Yeah, yeah would be holdbacks, but this is an arrangement between the city and uh, and the consortium. This is a, an arrangement between the I.O. 
and the consortium. So uh, I, I believe they entered into a, a, a different type of arrangement, and the security or the liability or the risk uh, was predetermined in their contractual uh, um, agreements. So the problem is uh, they entered agreements. My understanding is, is there's a, uh, more or less a capping in regards to what the liability that the contract will take on, and the claims are exceeding the the uh, that that cap. Now, is that your claims or everybody's claims? Because the That's Tiger Cats, the Tiger Cats, are an aggrieved party in this whole thing too. Correct. This is all claims. Okay. And, and here's the challenge. The challenge is um, we entered into agreement with the Tiger Cats, and uh, I, I want to make it clear that uh, uh, the Tiger Cats were. Uh, uh, um, have uh, felt the pain of uh, the delays, have lost money, and should be uh, reimbursed. The uh, the, inter- the agreement that we entered in with the Tiger Cats was that uh, we wouldn't be held at fault because we have no control of any dollars and that any claims they had, would pa- we would pass through. Again, ensuring that we're leaving uh, and protecting the taxpayers of this community. So we find ourselves in a, in a situation where you have a number of uh, players uh, filing suits against each other, and uh, we came close, I believe, twice to hopefully having a resolution. Well, that's what uh, I'd heard, Terry, and I'm sure you, you, you're a lot closer to this than we are, but I had heard anecdotally from uh, from some people on both sides, by the way, uh, they didn't want to come out officially because they weren't speaking you know, in an official capacity, but about two weeks ago, I was under the impression that, hey, we're very, very, very close to, to some resolution here. It looks like this thing's going to get put down. I thought, this is great. Now, all of a sudden, it seems to have blown up. What happened? Well, no solution uh, should involve the uh, city council dipping into the taxpayer's purse. And it, was that was was being asked of the city? Well, at the end of the day, that's the only way that this thing could have uh, um, resolved itself. And there's no way. I mean, we we didn't build it. We didn't delay it. We, so, so who's asking no for money? Who's or risk? Why why would the city be kicking money out of here? I mean, you know, I understand. Uh, you know, because you've touched on a couple of different things. Let's let's just you know, deal with a couple of those issues. Uh, and I'm not going to carry the water for the Tiger Cats here. They do a very good job of that themselves. Scott Mitchell and, and others involved in this are very articulate in presenting their case. And and I, I, and let's be clear about this. And I think you've been very fair about this. The Tiger Cats have wrote a lot of money here because of this whole thing, the way that it happened. And and we can argue back and forth about, well, it should have been built here. It doesn't much matter now. Yeah. They lost well, a lot of money because of, because of the Guelph situation and having to go to McMaster, et cetera. So that's there. We get that, all right? So And there's a lump sum, whatever that's going to be, that they feel that they need to be compensated for. But from my standpoint here, though, Terry... I'm looking at this and saying, you know, there's you four major parties that you're talking about here, and I know there are subcontractors too, but essentially uh, the Tiger Cats, the City of Hamilton, Infrastructure Ontario, and then the contractor. You and the Tiger Cats have an awful lot in common here. You're the ones that have got screwed around here. You would think that you guys would be on the same side for all intents and purposes, yet it seems to be as if uh, the, the, the Tiger Cats and the city seem to be the ones that are butting heads here. Well, as, as anyone familiar with lawsuits, as when uh, once you get to the point of filing lawsuits, you file the lawsuits against everybody. So the problem is the Tiger Cats find themselves in a precarious position that they're filing uh, a suit against the city of Hamilton, even though uh, we have an agreement, a contractual agreement, that uh, uh, clearly states 
that any delays or any uh, losses to the tire cats, uh, we would not take responsibility for, but we would be prepared to pass through those uh, uh, grievances uh, directly to I.O. And, and to whatever channels that were appropriate. So we did everything we could to protect ourselves and the taxpayers of this community, and now we find ourselves in a debacle where uh, the Tiger Cats feel that they're still grieved. Uh, they don't feel that the settlement offers have been adequate uh, to meet their, uh, their, their needs. Um, who's and, who's uh, making those settlement offers, Terry? Now that the Tiger Cats is ruining Hamilton, and Hamilton's ruining the Tiger Cats, and I.O. and everyone's suing everybody. Who's who's making those settlement agreements? Is the city offering? Is uh, I, again, I, I think our listeners want to be clear as to exactly you know where this money is supposed to be coming from here right now. My way of thinking it, and from you know the standpoint that we've heard over the last number of years, it seems to me is that this ultimately falls in the lap of Infrastructure Ontario. This was their project, and time and time again they told you at the city, "Back off, we're building this thing. You guys can come and watch if you want." Uh, and you can ask questions, but it's our project. Well, if yeah, I, that's going to be the case, then they have to accept responsibility. They hired the subcontractors. They did everything else. This is all on Infrastructure Ontario, so far as I can see. I, I hate to second guess, Bill, but uh, I'm glad you said it. The reality is is that uh, um, I.O. is the one that entered into the arrangement and, and, uh, and understood risk and covered it, in my uh, humble opinion, not very adequately. Uh, no kidding. How, the, how do you enter into an agreement, understanding that there could be significant liability and risk to all stakeholders, and put and and, and find yourselves where where there's a cap on the uh, the, the the risk that the contractor is taking uh, that doesn't even come close to covering all the costs that are uh, uh, that that impacted all the other stakeholders. So here we got an example where 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 the it appears. That I.O. entered into an agreement with a consortium, and with that, there, there was some form of capping in regards to the risk that the consortium or the contractor was taking. That that caps out, and you got to you got to settle this out based on that cap. The problem is, is that the expenses exceed the cap. So what 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 are you being offered right now? And I, I know by law you can't get into specifics here, but it sounds to me as if what everybody's being told here, the city, the Tiger Cats. Uh, the other aggrieved parties, essentially, because there's some com- subcontractors here that are aggrieved in this as well. I get that. So, you know, people, we've talked to some of them. But you're basically being offered pennies on the dollar. In other words, this is what we're out. Uh, say it's, you know, they use that $100 example. And they're offering you, like, well, you can get 10 15 bucks out of it instead of the 100 right? and, and that's clearly not fair. But, again, that's Infrastructure Ontario. And, and let's, let's draw the curtain on that. That's the province of Ontario. That well, seems they're they're the ones that ultimately had this whole thing under their 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 scope, and they're the ones that seem to be holding this process up. I uh, I think that the uh, the province themselves uh, uh, what they have done what they could to try and get us close to getting this thing done. I think that the province stepped in actually, uh, uh, and and hopefully they're listening. Uh, and uh, if I always got limitations, understanding that it was Iowa's project, that if the differential is, uh, you know, let's, I'm, I'm just going to throw a number out, but it's not, that doesn't mean it's a real number. But say it's a million dollar difference in selling it all out. God darn it. Why don't they do it? Well, and herein lies the problem. Uh, and, 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 <laughs> 
this was their baby from day one. And and let's you've been involved in politics at all three levels long enough to understand, Terry, that you know the province's response is going to be, well, Infrastructure Ontario is an arm's length organization. Uh, call BS on that. It, the province has carriage over all of this stuff. They could have and should have stepped in to fix this thing a long time ago. And now we've got a thing where the city's going to be suing the Tiger Cats. The Cats are going to be suing them. Everybody's suing Infrastructure Ontario. Uh, in the meantime, the CFL is awarding Grey Cups like they're going out of style. Hamilton's not even on their radar because they said, well, you guys have got to resolve this litigation. And, and what's happening? Nothing's happening here. We're, we're spinning our wheels. The world is moving on, and everybody's out money here. Well, and I think the next stage, uh, as I understand it, would be discoveries. And, of course, the tag cats would have to start, at that point, uh, quantifying um, or identifying uh, in real numbers uh, uh, with evidence of, of what their losses are. Um, which I, so I, I would think has got to be – which I think those numbers would be significant, obviously. Uh, and then the city's costs uh, would be significant, and because those are well stated. I mean, we've talked about all the repairs that the city's undertaken yep. as a result of this, and all I know it hasn't cost taxpayers money yet. Wants, sorry, well, all the city wants is to be made whole. Yeah, I get that. Uh, and sure, the taxpayers are protected for any other risk. That's it. No more, no less. We're not here to. Uh, we're not the gravy train. We're not going to uh, throw money at a, a, an issue just to have a result when we have. Uh, haven't showed any leader. Haven't had. We weren't in a leadership role. We had no control, but we ensured we entered into, in good faith, agreements that would protect us and the taxpayers. So, uh, if, if, if the problems are all things that uh, uh, the city of Hamilton could dip into their pockets uh, to throw money at a problem to this overall problem that they resolve it, uh, that's insane. It's absolutely ridiculous because what liability risk? What what? What could they find fault with the city on this issue? Well, I don't know the contractual situation between the Tiger Cats and the city to do with the lease. Uh, but if that's a factor in this, and, and if there's some indication right now that uh, the city should just pay the, that money out, whatever's owing, and then try to get it back from Infrastructure Ontario, that's never going to happen. You're never going to get that money back from the government. Correct, correct. I mean, we're, we're, I, well, you were counselor, you understand. We're doing uh, what is prudent. I mean, uh, we could always do what's expedient uh, and just pay it, pay, pay out the additional dollars. Um, but in principle, uh, the, the, the taxpayers shouldn't be on, uh, on the hook. The, uh, the and I don't think anybody's suggesting they are. I, I certainly don't want to see that happen. Yeah. But the guys, the guys, the bad guys here, the guys with the black hat. I'm sorry, our infrastructure Ontario. This was their mess. They created it. They pushed the city back and said, no, we got this. Well, you didn't have it. And now there's millions and billions of dollars that are on, at, on the table right now, and, and everybody's looking for compensation right now, and these guys these guys aren't even at the table. I mean, here are the Tiger Cats in the city fighting back and forth right now, and Infrastructure Ontario is just sitting back and, and watching. I mean, they're the, the ones that actually should be coming up with solutions. Yeah, I, I wish right. we had a lot more time to talk about this, but uh, and I know it's going to have a full discussion at City Council later on today. Terry, I want to appreciate... Uh, it's been a busy day and a hectic day for you because of your personal situation yeah, there. No and I want to thank you for taking the time to be with us this morning. Thanks very much. Thank you, Bill. We'll talk again soon. I'm sure after yeah. City Council talks about this tonight, Ward A. Councillor Terry Whitehead, uh, trying to get some resolution to this. And I get the city's position. They're not going to kick out a check for billions or millions of dollars uh, and then try to get it back from the province. The province has got to step up here. Infrastructure Ontario has to step up here and do something to try to make everybody whole so we can all move on.
Let's do the break. We'll come right back. This is the Bill Kelly Show, 900 CHML. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on AM 900 CHML. City Council uh, meets later on this afternoon, of course, as uh, we just talked about with Councillor Terry Whitehead. Uh, and the stadium issue and the uh, potential litigation for that is not the only contentious issue the council is going to be talking about later on this afternoon. The other is uh, the issue of the Dundas Laneway, the little issue that grew, is, is maybe the best way to characterize this. Uh, I'm sure that when some councillors looked at this as an item a couple of weeks ago when they had dealt with this, they thought, yeah, yeah big deal. What's, what's going on? Uh, and this has to do with the potential sale of a laneway that has been open for many, many years. Neighbors didn't want to see it happen. Uh, the city is willing right now, and it has already passed committee, uh, to sell it to one of the abutting neighbors for the grand total of two bucks. And uh, those other residents are saying, wait a second, this is just totally wrong. Now, uh, Bob James is with us. Now, you've heard Bob on the program before. He's a resident of Dundas. His property backs onto this laneway. He's lived there for about 37 years. And uh, he's with us here in studio. First of all, thanks for coming in. It's great to finally put a face to the voice that we've been uh, uh, commiserating with over the last little while. Great to be here. Uh, And I also want to clarify something. I know you're going to make this point, but I want to make it because I've gone through this. Uh, I've talked with a number of your neighbors and, and other Dundas residents about this. And they say, well, there's Bob James talking about this. You are the voice representing a number of other people. Uh, we've seen the emails, and I've seen the correspondence from other residents. Uh, and uh, it's it's a stack. I get it. You know, there's a lot of folks that have a deep, deep interest in this right now. So in as much as you're here speaking, you're speaking on behalf of an awful lot of other people who have done this. Absolutely. Uh, some of whom appeared at the meetings uh, over the last uh, couple of sessions when the committee tried to deal with this. Others uh, who didn't attend the meetings for a variety of reasons, but have a, a, a passionate interest in this. So maybe for those who don't know this uh, issue right now, let's let's talk a little bit about where this is, what's being proposed, and, and, and what you and, and your other neighbors, your concerned neighbors that want to do about this. One of the local uh, residents bought his house on Sydenham Street, backing onto that alleyway back about in 2015, roughly. Uh, 2016, he decided to uh, pave the alleyway. He then, a month later, put a fence up. He does not own the alleyway. He does not own the alleyway. This is a public laneway. It has been a public laneway for 160 years, used by the residents of the, of the neighborhood, uh, as well as the people that back onto it. It's not used for cars anymore. It's been a, a how long pedestrian. Is it, how long is it, Bob? Oh, it's probably about 200 feet long. It's a block long. Yeah. Uh, it's, a, it's a short block, but it's a block long. Uh, and it's we figure the area that he's looking at is roughly 1,200 square feet, and that's about half of it. So we're in the 2,400 to 3,000 square feet. Uh, at one time, it was used uh, as, a, as a vehicular access. That doesn't happen anymore. Nope. It was about 15 years ago. Uh, it was narrowed so that cars can't go through there. Pedestrians, uh, cyclists, people with strollers, joggers, people with dogs uh, go through there. It's it's well used as a pedestrian throughway. And it's an access. In other words, from, from one residential yep. area through to the other. Yep. Uh, as, as we talked about a couple of weeks ago, I, the irony among many that I find in this is that when they design neighborhoods now, newer neighborhoods in, in other areas, and, and just on Governor's Road in Dundas as one, right. Right. Invariably, they will build in these accesses, these these alleyways, these public uh, laneways, yeah, public laneways. Yeah. Now, now that's not what this was. This goes back to the days of, of alleyways, and the city now wants these to be designated as what they call unassumed. In other words, they don't want to plow them, they don't want to look after them. They they just think it's a waste of time and money to do this. I get that to a point, 
but they do serve a purpose in communities. Of course they serve a purpose. They help to knit together the community. People go from all over town through there to get to the driving park or to go from north of the laneway down into uh, the main part of Dundas. Uh, or to go to the local school. There's a high uh, public school just at the north end of the alleyway. There's a daycare center at the south end of the alleyway. Uh, people use that to take their kids to school or daycare center. It's well used. There's probably 30, 40 people use it every day. Now, we call it Dundas Driving Park, but anytime I've been there, which is often, by the way, I, as a kid, I used to go there almost once a week. Still love to go there just to just kind of it's sit back and read a book part. for it, and i got an hour and a half or so. Uh, but it's also very heavily used by neighborhood residents, not just yes, by people that drive to Dundas Driving Park. Right. There's a lot of pedestrian traffic there, and, and that's mm-hmm. one of the access points for them to get to the park. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's a safer access, and I think that's important to recognize. Safer than walking along Sydenham Street, which is the alternative. Uh, Sydenham is a major arterial road, uh, busy, busy street with many trucks uh, and people that go faster than the uh, posted speed limit. So it's a lot safer. This is pedestrian. It's leafy, it's green, it's quiet, uh, and it's safe. All right, let's talk about safety because that's something that's come up. And uh, interestingly enough, the, the ward councillor uh, is supportive of the staff recommendation, by the way, to sell this alleyway to this uh, abutting neighbour. Uh, much to the chagrin, I guess, of, of some of the residents like yourself and others. But one of the issues that comes up time and time again, Bob, is the safety issue. And they say, you know what, it's not safe for kids to use this because when they get to the end of that that walkway, uh, they try to cross the street there and they're putting themselves in peril. What, what, how do you respond to that? <laughs> well, it's, it's interesting that this issue was not an issue until after the application for closing the laneway was brought forward. But if you look at it and say, okay, is that really a safe area? Um, 160 years we've been using that laneway. There has never been a story of a kid or any adult even hurt along that laneway or coming out the end of the laneway. Uh, In contradiction, on Sydenham Street, within the last eight months, there was a child hurt by a car on Sydenham Street, just a block away from where that is. And that's the street that that, uh, Councillor Vanderbeek would like our kids to walk along. So you don't see, you, you think the, the safety issue is a red herring then? You don't see that I think it's a red herring. I think it's a red herring. And if, if it really, you really want to look at that, let's do a proper safety uh, study on it and see just, in fact, how safe it is. It's, that has not been done. This, she's talking as a, a point of opinion. This is not related to anything related to facts. Uh, and I think if, if that is an issue, and, it's a, and of course safety is something you always worry about. But if that really is an issue, let's do a study on it and find out how much of an issue it is. Well, here's the thing that, uh, that I find interesting about that element, and to bring that up as, as an argument for the, sa- the staff uh, recommendation here to sell this. Uh, if the sa- staff had come forward and said, we have a safety issue here, uh, we're very concerned about this, we need to do something about this walkway, that's a totally different discussion. But to say, no, we want to sell this to this guy, uh, and by the way, by the way <laughs> in other words, here's our conclusion. Now we're going to start backing up and try to justify that conclusion. Oh, by the way, there's a safety issue. Well, how come the safety issue never got brought up before? Well, it also Because if there's a safety issue, there's a number of different initiatives they could undertake to try Absolutely. to deal with the safety issue that do not include selling the walkway. Exactly. Exactly. You could put a wall, you put a crosswalk right yeah. at the end of the walkway. You could put a crossing guard there. You could put a sidewalk on the south side of Alma Street to get people over to where the crossing guard already is at the corner of Alma and Sydenham. Uh, there are a number of things you could do. You could make it a no parking zone for cars. There's lots of cars parked in that area now, which makes it somewhat less safe, no question. So 
Uh, the recommendation from staff is to sell this to this individual who, and I, again, I don't know uh, the neighbor. I don't know the individual that wants to buy this. I don't think I've ever met the, the individual. Uh, he's well known in the community. I guess he's done some work in the community, mm-hmm. he has some development work, etc. Uh, and he he wants to take this thing over, um, which obviously would close off access to the public. Absolutely. And that's not it's not something we want, obviously. It's something which we feel is important enough for this neighborhood that we're prepared to fight for it. So were you surprised? Uh, I mean, this seems to me to be a classic situation of, of a community that, that embraces this, this particular laneway and says, look, we kind of need this. We prefer that you didn't do this. Uh, yet it passed committee. Uh, your reaction to that? I mean, it's fascinating. The city of Hamilton is looking to engage citizens and have them active and involved and engaged. We have 650 people who are prepared to put their names on the line and say, we're opposed to this. 650 people against the sale of this. We have three people that are in favor of this. This doesn't make sense. If you're looking at a democratic situation, it doesn't make sense. If you're looking at improving civic involvement, this doesn't make sense. If you're looking at maintaining the community, it doesn't make sense. The only way that it makes sense to us is that it increases the value of the land of this man who's who has uh, decided to pave it and fence it. I want to talk about that other issue too, and I know that a lot of the response that we've received after our previous discussions have have referred to this this price. Uh, and you mentioned this is a couple of hundred feet long, and uh, it's a laneway, and so you can put that mental picture in your mind right now. Uh, it will be sold if this passes a council tonight uh, for the sum of two bucks. Not two bucks a foot, uh, not per meter. Two, two bucks bu- total. Two bucks total. Now, I, and I'm not going to justify council's position on this, but I will tell you from a historical standpoint that in the past when the city has tried to, to divvy up walkways and alleyways, uh, they usually offer them to the abutting neighbors, but about in those days they were trying to get, I think it was almost market value. So there might be this little area, nowhere near as big as this, that they would say, well, it's about 4000 5000 bucks. Well, who's got the money for that? Mm-hmm. So nobody would take them. Right. There was no uptake on this at all. But to go from that to simply 2 bucks for a whole alleyway or laneway is ludicrous in my mind that, that they would offer that to somebody. Uh, and, and and again, that's not a, that's not a reflection on the individual who's doing it. I mean, he didn't no, set the price. No, the city did. that's set by the city. I, I can't understand that. It makes absolutely no sense because, but it's a savvy move on the part of the individual, isn't it? Because oh, sure. he's buying it for two bucks. It increases his property value by probably a hundred thousand dollars. This is prime Dundas real estate at this point in time, and we know that's not cheap. Uh, it also, by the way, gives him enough frontage along Victoria Street that. Uh, according to the laws as they exist right now, he can subdivide that property, build a house there, sell it off, and make even more money. So this, in fact, allows him to increase his his profits significantly. In in a in an older neighborhood, in an established neighborhood, uh, not a heritage neighborhood necessarily, but in a lot of those well, it houses, is heritage neighborhood. Well, the whole thing has been there for a long, long time, mm-hmm. uh, and that's another battle. And by the way, we're not suggesting this individual is planning on doing that. But with this acquisition of the land, that would be a, a possibility. He'd have mm-hmm. to again, once again, go to the city and make application, uh, which would start a fight all over again. So anyway, this past a committee, and, and you know the routine here, Bob, and I think everybody's aware of the routine with city council now. Uh, it goes to the Greater City Council today for ratification. You know, here's the planning committee, item one, item two, and all you hear is carried, carried, carried. Uh, for those that are going to be watching the show tonight, uh, streaming the thing, uh, this is going to be on the agenda. I'm assuming you guys are going to be there. Now, you're not allowed to speak because this is no, a council can't meeting. can't speak. 
Uh, so there will be no delegations. You can't get up there and say, wait a second on this. Uh, is there going to be any discussion? Have you heard back? I know that you and, and many, many hundreds of, of residents have contacted the city councilors and said, look, we got to put a stop to this. Uh, do you get any feedback at all on this? We have not, so we don't know what's going to happen tonight as city council. I mean, it's interesting that when you look at the city council agenda, the list of people who've corresponded has now grown over over seventy people that have that have written in, have taken the time to sit down, write a letter, and send it into the city clerk. That's phenomenal. I mean, that's again a degree of civic involvement that you just don't see in many areas. And in my mind, it would be silly for them to ignore that, but you don't know what'll happen. Uh, you're in a situation that many other people in the city have found themselves in when, when neighborhood issues start to, to come to light and, 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 and this, this festering of, of discontent that oftentimes gets ignored like this. And you probably know more about city bylaws and procedures than you ever wanted to know, but here you are now. You, you become an expert at this by, not necessarily by design, but by need. Uh, if they simply ignore everything that you guys have done, everything that you've said, everything that you have submitted on this, and and pass this tonight, is this over? No, I don't think so. Uh, I mean, we hope, obviously, that they don't pass it, that they put the pause button on and they send it back to committee or they send it to a different committee or they even stop it. But if they don't, this is, requires a bylaw to be passed. Bylaws can be challenged in court. It also requires going through the Heritage Committee because this is a heritage district. Uh, and the Heritage Committee we, gives us another kick at the can in a sense. So we've, we've got that. And plus also there needs to be land registry changes. And land registry changes can be also uh, taken to either OMB or at least to court. So we've got other options. Uh, and so <laughs> there we go. I mean, you've obviously you, you've done your homework on the procedures here right now. Uh, I'm getting the sense from what you're saying and from some of the emails I've received from some of your neighbors uh, that uh, that you're not going away. I don't intend to go away quickly, certainly, that's for sure. That uh, that depending on what council does tonight, you you will respond to this, and uh, this is important enough for you and for your your fellow neighbors that uh, that that you want to get see a positive resolution to this. Well, obviously, we do, and 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 again, remember, this isn't just me. This is me plus several other people, many other people, 650 other people. These are all constituents of our, of Dr. Councillor Vanderbeek's, and we intend to keep on pushing this. Fighting, I guess, is the proper word in this case, because it seems to be a fight. We didn't ask for this fight. Uh, it was brought to us. Were you surprised by this in the first place? So just to go all the way back to the beginning for just a second, that, that all of a sudden this would happen, that, that, that this was even a possibility? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you got some, you, I mean, again, you take it for granted. It's been there 160 years. It's used every day. Why would anybody think about doing this? Suddenly this fence appears. I mean, it, obviously it took a little while to put it up, but within a day or so there was a fence there. And, and hold on a second. This guy doesn't have the right to do that. We complained because of the bylaws uh, say that you can't close off a public alleyway like that. Bylaw officer said, well, you know, you, you can't enforce it because he's made an application to purchase. Um, and we thought, well, that doesn't make a lot of sense. Uh, you know, yeah, but did- I got to wait a second here. 
I mean, I spent nine years at council and nine years on the planning committee, and I understand that this individual may have an application to purchase right now, but that's like saying I'm going to apply to purchase your house, and I move, I come in the next day and start repainting and hanging new drapes. Exactly. It's not, it's not mine yet. Exactly. It's not his yet, and it's not, and it won't be his. Even if this passes city council tonight, it's not going to be his for a while because it's got to go through a judicial order. It's got to get a bylaw passed. It's got to get registered with the land registry. It's got all of that stuff to see to be done. We expect that he will respect that process. He hasn't respected other processes, by the way, including the one on this one. He paved it. He fenced it first, and then a month later applied to purchase it. Um, in the city's uh, department report to council, they recommended that he be given retroactive approval of some of those moves. Well, hold on a second. I don't get retroactive approval for the things that, that I do wrong. I get uh, fined or taken to jail or whatever. He gets retroactive approval. How does this happen? The worst case scenario that I can recall, uh, and this happened many, many years ago, was uh, that uh, there was a a building right across from St. Joe's Hospital on John Street uh, that the owner had actually applied for a demolition permit. And uh, while it was pending, if I recall my history correctly on this, uh, there was a break over the Christmas holidays. City Council wasn't sitting. Right. Uh, they tore it down. <laughs> uh, and, and there was obviously the building. Everybody was on Christmas holidays. And all of a sudden, the wrecking crew showed up there, I guess, a couple of days after Boxing Day. This is going back. Uh, it was on John and Charlton Street. Mm-hmm. And and what can you do once it's torn down? Now, now I'm, I'm not suggesting that this individual is going to yeah. do something like that, but the city has to be diligent about this. And if there's a process in place, Bob, whether it's for heritage, whether it's for this sale, whether it's for anything else, to simply say, well, you know, let's just give them a blanket uh, pardon here and say, well, let's make all this retroactive. You shouldn't have done that. You shouldn't have done that. But it's okay. Yeah. Uh, that, that, I get a problem with that. Why have the process in place at all if you're not going to respect it and you're not going to uh, honor the process? It's part of what we're suggesting as well, certainly. Time time to honor it. Well, it's going to be an interesting council meeting tonight, for sure, for a number of different reasons, notwithstanding this. Uh, you'll be in the gallery tonight, I'm I sure. I will be in the gallery tonight. With many others from Dundas as well. It's, it's a great neighborhood. Uh, people are passionate about that neighborhood passionate about the high school situation from Absolutely. a couple of years ago, too, Absolutely. and uh, you want to maintain that. You've been there for 37 years, and uh, uh, there's, uh, there's a love and a passion for community like that, and you got to respect that. Uh, thanks so much for coming in today. Thanks for fighting the good fight on this, and we'll see how council responds. Thank you for having me. It's great having you on here tonight. Uh, and by the way, even though it's too late to make submissions to councilors, in other words, to get this on the agenda, you can still call them. All right, and uh, you can still voice your pleasure or displeasure with the decision, not just with the Dundas Councilor, but uh, with your councilor as well, because they're all voting on it tonight. Thanks again, Bob. Okay. You're listening to The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on AM 900 CHML. We are approaching uh, just a couple of days away, of course, from uh, Canada's birthday, from Canada Day, and of course, a special one. It's Canada 150. You've seen the commercials, you've talked about this, and it's when our chests swell with pride and we. So proud to be Canadians, and well, we need to put this in context, and uh, there's a great piece in the Toronto Star today, a time for Canadian pride, but also for vigilance, Uh, and it's written by Tim Harper, a freelance writer and editor, of course, and uh, always a welcome guest here on the Bill Kelly Show here on CHML. Tim, how are you doing as we head into Canada today? Well, I'm feeling good about uh, a long weekend, I'll tell you that. (laughs) (laughs) How Canadian can you get? (laughs) Exactly. Uh, a very, very poignant piece, and, and I think very timely. Uh, earlier in the, sh- the week, Tim, we had talked about, actually a couple of the uh, the national polls that you referenced in the piece that you wrote here, 
Uh, one that suggested that we're a much more tolerant people, which I think probably uh, you know validated what a lot of people were thinking, especially in light of what's going on in the states these days since November the eighth of last year. Where let's face it, I mean, as as you point out in the piece. We, we sometimes kind of look down our noses at, at Trump and the Americans and say, boy, we're not like that. I'm not so sure uh, the way things are going in this country these days. Well, I think sometimes our default position is to uh, uh, revert into a sense of smugness when we look at what's happening in the U.S. And it's very easy to do that now uh, when um, uh, a lot of Canadians seem riveted on, on, on the daily circus uh, under the Trump administration. And you you referred to the uh, Pew Research uh, survey, which is historic, actually, showing that only 43% of Canadians now have a positive view of the U.S. But uh, all I was trying to do uh, was to remind readers that um, as proud as we are to be Canadians, and I certainly am, uh, we should remain vigilant because there are uh, there are things happening in our own house that uh, deserve some attention, and we should, I think, rightly be looking inside our own house instead of pronouncing on what's going on south of the border. Well, and there are some examples of that, and you touch on a few of those in the piece. And you know, and and let's juxtapose U.S. proposed policies, uh, you know, the, with what's going on here. And we said, oh, how could a guy like Donald Trump propose a ban on Muslims and a ban on immigration? Uh, we had that discussion in this country right around the same time. Now, it, it it never came to fruition, but, you know, as as you and I have talked about in the past, you know, there was Chris Alexander and Kelly Leach with the, you know, with the, the, the hotline that they had proposed during the last federal election, and, of course, Kelly Leach with her, her vetting process and things of that nature. And inasmuch as Kelly Leach, as you point out in the piece, didn't win the leadership of the Conservative Party, uh, a lot of Canadians are, are on side with what she's talking about. People forget right after she uh, made a lot of noise with this values test for uh, uh, new arrivals, immigrants to, um, to Canada, there was a, um, uh, a, a, re- a, a form uh, research poll that showed 65% of Canadians agreed with at least part of what she was saying. She fumbled that away, um, uh, thankfully, uh, largely, I think, and Frank Graves, who I talked to, who did the Equals poll, agreed that she, she just ran a terrible, she fumbled it away, she ran a terrible campaign. Uh, I think we take a little bit too much um, uh, comfort in the fact that she tanked so badly in the leadership race. You know, uh, just to take a step back, the, uh, there's another uh, uh, pertinent thing that's going on right now that I didn't really get into in the column, but the New York Times has totally beefed up its Canadian coverage, as you know. Mm-hmm. And seem to have, uh, uh, they seem to be in full-bloom romance with us. There's a, a column today in the, in the Times praising our immigration system, and yesterday in the print edition, they had on the front page uh, a, a column about how Canada is, is uh, resisting the right-wing uh, populism uh, that swept the U.S. and how we're doing it. It's largely accurate, but, you know, it didn't mention Rob Ford, for one example. I mean, we've already lived it. And there are signs uh, in the polling data that we've seen this week that um, it, uh, it's a different type of uh, populism that we're seeing here. But uh, there, there were some pretty uh, shocking numbers, I thought, uh, regarding how many people think there is a, a rise of uh, the right-wing populism in this country. And I, and I think we should remain vigilant because I think uh, it's there and it maybe just needs the proper political leader to, let, to light the match. And uh, we may be lucky in that there's nobody of that ilk uh, lurking in the, political, um, in the political arenas right now in Canada, but... You know, uh, nobody thought Donald Trump was going to be the president uh, 18 months out either. So uh, 
it can happen quickly, and I just think that vigilance is probably a good idea. Well, and there may not be anybody who's ready to light the match right now, but not for lack of trying. And we look at some of the things that have gone on here in recent history. I mean, you know, the province of Quebec with their hijab ban. Uh, Stephen Harper talked about doing that before the last federal election as well. That gained some and, traction. And that, firmed up, that firmed up his base. People forget oh, that. Oh, sure. Uh, after the, uh, you know, I, I didn't mean to interrupt, but you remember the uh, the worldwide uh, outrage after the uh, the little Syrian uh, boy, Alan, uh, Alan Kurdi, wa- uh, the picture of him washed up on the Turkish beach. Uh, Harper, uh, at that time, was in the midst of the campaign, took a much harder line when it came to um, ad- admitting refugees. And he got a bump in the polls briefly because of that. Everybody now looks back and, and kind of revises history and thinks, well, you know, it was Justin Trudeau and, and welcoming the refugees and look what we've done for the Syrians and so on. That wasn't immediately apparent, uh, in, uh, according to the polling data, during the midst of that campaign. So, you know, there, there is an audience, uh, certainly for that, um, for that point of view in Canada. Well, and let's look at the political realities that are going on right now, too. And, and post-Stephen Harper, of course, uh, uh, you know, his legacy is still going to be written, I guess. But, I mean, you know, Ronna Ambrose came in as the interim leader, and, and a lot of people, I think on both sides of the political spectrum in those days, uh, looked at, at Ms. Ambrose and said, well, you know, she's returning the Conservative Party to the kinder, gentler uh, Brian Mulroney, uh, John Diefenbaker, Conservative Party. And, and there was a comfort level there that said, uh, this is better, okay? Remember, she kiddingly said, I think, at the uh, the press dinner this year, you know, the big, bad, mean man is gone now. You know, you, you Conservatives can come out. Well, they elected Andrew Scheer, and, and, and as you've pointed out in some of the pieces you've written in The Star in the last little while, Andrew Scheer is cut from the same cloth as Stephen Harper. As a matter of fact, one of the questions that is yet to be answered now is what kind of an influence to the hard right who supported Scheer to get him elected, what kind of an influence are they going to have, trust in others uh, that, that, that uh, adhere to an awful lot of those extreme right-wing values? Sure, they uh, quite, quite clearly feel they have chips to cash in. Um, we've talked about this before. I think Andrew Scheer is uh, too shrewd a politician to um, to allow that to happen, but that doesn't mean that he's not going to be under uh, under pressure. And, you know, I think we'll see this in the fall. Um, he wasn't, uh, there wasn't enough time in the House for this to take shape after he was a uh, chosen leader. But I think it's quite uh, possible in the fall that we're going to see a sort of a uh, a muscled-up kind of social conservative voice in that caucus uh, because they, they will feel emboldened because they feel that they had an awful lot to do with getting uh, Mr. Scheer elected leader of the party. Now, Andrew Scheer is a social conservative. There's no doubt about it. He said it uh, in the past, and you can look at his voting record. Um, but uh, Stephen Harper kept the lid on the on the caucus and, and laid down the law when it came to some of those social issues because he knew the, they, they wouldn't sell. Uh, Shiro will attempt to do the same same thing, but uh, Harper had a Harper was the prime minister. <laughs> you know, it's, it's a lot harder for Shear to keep a lid on the caucus when they're in the, when they're in opposition. So, I don't think that story has played itself out yet. Well, and and Harper and you have to give the guy credit where it's due here. Uh, we don't because those rumors were all around in 2006 election. You know that Stephen Harper is going to do this. He's going to reopen the abortion debate. He's going to kill the the civil marriage law, etc., like that. And and to his credit, I mean, this is a guy that wanted to stay in government. And you're right, when you're the sheriff, you can simply say, this is the law, guys. If you don't like it, you're out of the caucus. And he, uh, that happened more than once, of course, with a few people. Garth Turner comes to mind, but there were a few others that, that were like that. Uh, when you're in opposition, of course, the, the the prattle from some of those backbenchers is going to be, look, we're not in government, but if you did it my way, we could be in government. So it's, it's going to be a lot tougher for Andrew Scheer. 
Yeah, but you, you, a good politician like Stephen Harper also has to know when the uh, the bus has left the station, and there was no point in, in relitigating those fights because um, the decisions had been made and, the, and, the, and Canadians had moved on. Uh, even this uh, this Conservative Party here, of course, last uh, at their last uh, policy convention, uh, came on board on same-sex marriage. You don't even hear Donald Trump talking about uh, same-sex marriage because I think uh, he understands that, that that train has uh, that bus has left the station in the U.S. too, and it came it came very quickly. So that's how quickly some views can galvanize and change. Um, so the, the the best news that I can see from uh, crunching all this polling data this week and, and what we're uh, what we're talking about now um, is the views of Canadians under 35. They, they are much um, they're much more progressive. They're much um, uh, more tolerant. Um, according to these polls, in terms of you know voting for um, a party led by a Muslim or a Sikh or um, a woman wearing a, a religious head uh, um, dress, you know it, you can see the numbers um, um, they they separate at around the forty five and up and forty five and under category. So I, I think that bodes well for the future. For the future, but what about now? The the other poll that you referenced in the piece is, is one that caught my eye earlier this week, too, uh, with, as you mentioned, a number of people suggesting, oh, yeah, we'd vote for somebody who, uh, uh, you know, a Sikh that wears a headdress or, or somebody, you're Muslim, et cetera, like that. Uh, i, I got to ask you, from your experience, Tim, are people responding to that poll in the way that they truly feel, or are they responding to that poll the way that they think they should respond? Yeah, well, that's a very good question, right? I'm not a pollster, but I, there are pollsters who in moments of candor will tell you um, that these questions are often answered um, the way people think they should answer them. They don't want to tell um, a pollster that they would never vote for a party led by a Muslim. So in in this case, in the Angus Reid survey, um, 58% of Canadians said they, they, they would back a party led by a Muslim. So that, that is 42% who were, who were uh, emboldened enough to tell uh, a pollster that they would not. And um, you got to wonder how many others may have answered uh, just because they, they felt it was a politically correct way to answer. Another number in there, I mean, this poll was kind of, um, uh, it was welcomed as uh, another show of how uh, we've embraced diversity mm-hmm. and tolerance and so on. So, uh, 63% told Angus Reid that they could vote for a party led by a Sikh. You know, I don't want to cherry-pick here, but I, actually I turned that around and, and, and thought, so you're telling me that there's still more than one in three Canadians in this country would not vote for a, a party led by a Sikh, given the, the long, deep roots that Sikhs have in this in this country, that there are four Justin Trudeau cabinet ministers who are Sikhs, that... Um, um, Jagmeet Singh, as we know, uh, is, is seeking the federal NDP leadership. I thought that number uh, was awfully low uh, in approving that. And you know, the other the other constant we kept seeing is that the numbers were uh, were, were lower in, uh, in Quebec, uh, right across the board when it came to uh, leadership. You know, um, I, I think I'm going by memory now, but I think they said only 46 percent in Quebec would back a Sikh-led party. So you've got a majority of people in Quebec. 
who would not vote for a party led by a Sikh. And I thought, uh, I find that rather alarming. Well, and let's uh, let's piggyback onto that, the the comments from Premier Couillard uh, just a couple yeah. of days ago that, that basically, uh, you know, channeled the blame for, for some of these terrorist attacks. And he talked about the one, of course, that happened in Flint, Michigan, uh, at, at Islam and saying, you know, that's, that's we got to be concerned about this. Uh, I juxtapose that with his comments after the, the attack in the mosque a couple of weeks before that. And you got to wonder, is this guy playing politics here, or what are his true beliefs? Well, he's certainly been accused of it, and, and it seems to me that you you can get away with uh, that kind of talk in Quebec if you have to as a political leader, because um, there's an audience for it. And I, and I, I don't cover Quebec, but uh, those uh, my colleagues who do, there were columns in analysis written this week, that said exactly what you just suggested, that, he, that he's going to pander now uh, because he has to, because uh, he's uh, facing political pressure, and so it's now convenient, and it's uh, it's an opportune time to, to change the message. But that was quite a statement. Uh, he, he, this is after the stabbing of the um, Michigan police officer yeah. in uh, Flint. You cannot disconnect this type of event, terrorism, from Islam in general. Um Man, oh man! Can you imagine uh, Kathleen Wynne or uh, or Justin Trudeau said that? But somehow in in Quebec, he got away with it. Well, as you say, though, the, because of an audience. I mean, we can talk about the you know the the Hajib ban and everything else yep. that's been going on there. I mean, it's it seems to be a different political climate there right now. Uh, I guess the overarching question that uh, that you know the elephant in the room is when you look at a Trump, and people say, well, that could never happen here in Canada. And, and and maybe not, although, you know, some are using Kevin O'Leary as an example as in saying, well, could have, might have, you know, if if he had run a better campaign, et cetera. Uh, it just seems, and, and I think you, the piece that, that you wrote today that's in the Star today, Tim, seems to indicate that, you know, we shouldn't be so smug and don't ever think that, well, that'll never happen here. If we become complacent and, and just kind of turn our backs to some of the stuff and some of the, the bombast that's coming out here, it could happen here. Yeah, I learned a long time ago to never say never. <laughs> uh, it's not a good thing to, to say, and it's a really bad thing to put in print or online. Um, yeah, I, I, I think you're right. I, I Again, I, I say, yes, we can. We have so much to be proud of uh, as Canadians, but our treatment of uh, uh, Indigenous Canadians are not among them. I, I pointed uh, among things we should be proud of. I pointed out how... Um, you know, there are the Thunder Bay Police, for example, are under investigation for systemic racism. There was a, a CBC story yesterday on carding in, in Edmonton that showed Aboriginal women uh, were six times more likely to be stopped on the street uh, uh, than white Edmontonians and, and uh, black uh, Edmontonians five times more likely. There is stuff going on in this country that really um, deserve our attention, and I don't think we have a we have a right to be smug. Yeah, be proud. Um, because this is a progressive country, and uh, I can't think of anywhere else in the world I'd rather be. But don't get smug. Yeah, I mean, the Ferguson, Indianas, and things like that, we look at and say, well, you know, never here. Um, but you know, the p- potential is there, I guess, if we're if we're not diligent. It's a great piece. Check it out on the uh, the Star website, of course. It's called A Time for Canadian Pride, but also Vigilance. Tim, thanks as always. Great having you on the program again. Happy Canada Day weekend, and enjoy a couple of days off. You too. Happy Canada Day, Bill. Thanks Take care. for having me on. Tim Harper, of course, a great read in the uh, the Star. Check it out. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on AM 900 CHML.